Welcome. This is Bleacher Blum, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now, the current master of banter for the Houston Astros television broadcast team, Blummer. And we are back, and I am staring at Tuttle's face right now, and hopefully everybody's staring at our face, too, because this will be our second attempt at recording a podcast while doing video, and that's kind of the genesis of what Bleacher Blums has become. And we are very proud to announce that the reason we are doing this and the ability to be able to go out and do this is because we have attached ourselves and been asked to join a network called Social Nostra. You can follow them on Twitter at Social Nostra, but they are a group who is just starting out, beginning, trying to gather as much content as they possibly can. And they reached out to us and we felt like this was a decent venture for us to go out and try and expand our fan base and expand our podcast a little bit and see if we can't get any more viewers, any more followers, subscribers, and things like that. So here we are, myself, Jeff Blum, 14 year major league veteran. And now I have spent the last eight years, well, what should be uh, eight years with the Houston Astros whenever baseball season starts again. Uh, as their color commentator on their broadcast side. And I want to bring in right now, before we go through some of the logistics and, and try and inspire all of you to subscribe to our YouTube channel that will be coming soon. Uh, my good friend, David Tuttle, went to Santa Clara University, played for Team USA for several years, and then was in the minor leagues for about four or five years before eventually uh, did not get the opportunity, but made it to tri AAA, got traded for some big names. But my good friend, Current co-host, David Tuttle, out on the West Coast, believe it or not. How are we doing, Tuttle? Well, we're doing great. Uh, I wish it was only four or five years. It was like nine or ten, but, uh, you know, we don't oh, have bad. to we, we don't I have want to, to sell you short. I mean, anytime you spend that much time doing something, you deserve credit for every year of it. No, that's all right. Yeah, we don't want to have to relive that. But, uh, yeah, you know, obviously you and I have a, a deep baseball background, and that's how we started doing this. Doing well. We continue to talk about uh, cabin fever and, uh, and the other uh, – kind of ailments that may strike us here uh, during the, uh, the COVID-19 sh worldwide shutdown. But, uh, you know, it gives us a good avenue and a good venue for uh, podcasting. So hopefully the topics are able to get a little more diverse than, you know, cabin fever and what are your favorite ac activities under one roof and, you know, how far do you stay away from your neighbors and all those kind of things. So, but doing great. Yeah, I'm glad you're doing well. It's good to be on with you again, obviously. And uh, this is the part where we ask you to subscribe, rate, review, find us, Bleacher Blums, on uh, every podcast platform you possibly can and continue to uh, pump the podcast for us because we rely a lot on the subscribers and the people who listen to us. And you have been loyal to us, and we're going to ask you to take one extra step and go over to that video realm on YouTube. We know that uh, you can go to shows.socialnostra.com, and it's S-O-C-I-A-L-N-O-S-T-R-A. And that's how you can find us. Subscribe on there and you will continually be updated weekly with shows that we continue to put up there. And I think what this is going to do is put a little bit of an onus on us to be more consistent with getting those podcasts out there. I know that it can be tough with schedules, especially mine during the season when it's actually going on, day games, night games, travel days, uh, who knows what time zone I'm in and trying to match up with Tuttle, who's out there on the West Coast. But uh, we do our best to bring you the best podcast we can, bring you the best content. And now you get a look at our beautiful faces. And you know what's crazy is now that we're going to be doing this is a lot of people don't really see us on our television broadcast all that much because most of the focus obviously is on the game where it should be. But at the same time, what people, this is kind of a behind the scenes look right here because normally you're seeing this version of Jeff. Well, minus the, I think I've got a pretty solid bedhead loaf going right now, <laughs> but uh, nobody sees the fact that yes, I do use readers to try and get some of the stats and notes that I want out there to the public. I try to not rely on them, but when we do this podcast, it makes seeing what's in front of me so much easier and uh, it makes it a lot of fun. But here's a little behind the scenes. This is what, this is what morning hair is for Jeff, even though it might be in the middle of the afternoon where we're at, but uh, this is what we're going with. Cause what Tuttle talked about with this whole, you know, uh, coronavirus, I mean, Dude, somebody invited me to something uh, on a virtual meeting or a virtual uh, sit together, drink together on Saturday night. And I was like, yeah, I'm in. And then I went, 
damn it, what day is it? <laughs> I completely lost track of time. But uh, you've got a solid loaf going this morning too. Yeah, yeah. You know, you and I, this is where we look a lot more similar than I thought. We have the, <laughs> the tall hair bedhead going plus the glasses. And I'm a little bit older than you or a lot older than you. I've needed the readers a little bit longer. But I find it, uh, it's actually just so much easier to do the podcast with my glasses because if I want to, you know, let everybody see the real me, I'm end up taking my glasses off, putting them back on, taking them off, putting them back on. It's like, you know what? This is me, as far as everybody knows, glasses, and nobody's ever seen me on the Astros broadcast, so uh, so they don't have to worry. This is this is what I look like without the uh, bleacher bums lid on. So, well, that's a good thing, and uh, that is pretty much the open to our show. We will obviously condense that down once we get going and get comfortable on our new social Nostra network. Kind of a play on words there with the uh, the Nostra in that uh, in that name or in that title. So we're excited about that situation. We hope you're equally as excited to see us on YouTube and have our channel going. But at the same time, the podcast is going to just be the same audio as you're listening to right now. And we'll just add the video to it later in the week and make sure that you guys are entertained that way. And it should be pretty good considering how much streaming is going on these days. We found an opportunity to get on there and have you guys be able to stream our faces as we speak about some of the things going on around sports. And you get to hear and see me stutter right in front of you and try and battle through some of those situations. But we've got a great podcast for you. Obviously, we love our fans and everybody that goes to bleacherblums.com. You can find our shop on there. Get some of the swag like we're sporting today. I don't know if the pie shirt's on there, but I know your, your T-shirt is going to be on there, the Bleacher that. Blums and the Navy Blue. Yeah, but uh, we've got plenty of swag on there, a couple of hats and uh, fishing shirts and things like that. But uh, you can also get to the mailbag, which has been very important to our podcast because a lot of our fans tune in, listen, and ask us questions that we grab right here on the podcast. So I'm going to let Tuttle take it away right here with the Bleacher Blums mailbag. All right, here we go. First question from Colin S. And thanks again for everybody writing in and, uh, yeah. you know, staying on their toes. Uh, Jeff already mentioned this is where, you know, we feel like the bread and butter is, right? You guys keep writing in, keep us, uh, keep us afloat, keep subscribing, keep rating, and keep engaging with us. And uh, it makes it worth our while. So let me just say, uh, Colin S. has a really good question, of course, like most of them are. It says, hello, Blummer and Tuttle. How big of a factor are taxes in where a guy signs? Somewhat of a factor or not a factor at all? Well, if my memory is correct, part of the Astros pitch to Beltran in 2004 was that he would be making just as much, if not more, playing for the Astros in a state with no income tax compared to the state of New York. I'm going to let you handle that because uh, I think you probably a little more. I didn't have to worry about state taxes <laughs> typically with the, uh, the salaries that I was making. Well, you know what's funny about that? It is a great question because you do have to take all these things into consideration, especially when you're talking about guys like Garrett Cole, Carlos Beltran back in the day in 2004 when he had that strong postseason with the Astros. And he, you know, everybody in Houston wanted him to stay there because obviously he would have made that 05 team that much better offensively. But he chose to move on and go back to the New York Mets where it's a high tax state. But the interesting thing is, is yes, you are going to get taxed in the state you are playing in. But uh, what a lot of people don't know is that even now to this day as a broadcaster, but every player that plays in the major leagues is going to get taxed in at least nine or 10 different states. So what you're doing along with paying in your home state, you're paying in Illinois where you get hammered and you're going to pay in California where you get equally as hammered. So, you know, it's kind of, it, it's different in the sense that you're only getting charged 81 days in that tax state. But it is a benefit, especially when you get into the numbers like Garrett Cole, Justin Verlander, or uh, you know Carlos Beltran did back in 2005. What's interesting to me is that I know that uh, was it Florida, Washington, and Texas are some of the more notable non-tax states. But when I played with the San Diego Padres, everybody talked about the San Diego discount. Guys would take a discounted price to go play in California. But the discount was because of the weather, the atmosphere, the stadium, the people, everything around it. You know, it was a glorious place to plant uh, your family and have a, have a very good summer. So that was kind of the anti-tax situation as far as, you know, taking a, uh, a little bit of a pay break to go play in a specific place like that. But I think that uh, more guys are paying attention to it nowadays. But at the same time, when you're negotiating a contract, what a lot of people won't tell you, 
And this is what's uh, beautiful about Bleacher Blums is it will try and give you some of the insight into what is actually going on. But what doesn't get talked about is the fact that the union will step in and they will say, hey, your market value is this and we think you should take the highest market value you can get because what that does is, is if you take that highest market value for yourself, it trickles down to guys below you and helps set the market a little bit. So if you do take a discount because of a tax rate, uh, the union's going to frown on it a little bit and it's going to affect other guys around the league. So that's why you see some of these guys like Garrett Cole, Carlos Beltran go to major cities, take the biggest contract they can get because it helps other players within the union. Yeah, that's the insight that you uh, tune into Bleacher Blums for. And I, and I think that is a- absolutely true. I, I remember a couple of years ago when Derek Carr signed with the Raiders, it doesn't look like he's going to end up being in uh, Las Vegas with them based on all the scuttlebutt. But uh, Derek Carr, they were talking about his two years of contract in Oakland in obviously California taxes, and then the next four years of his contract being in Las Vegas, Nevada, no state taxes, and how much money he was actually going to be making each year and how much money the uh, Raiders were going to save as well by moving the franchise to Las Vegas, Nevada. So all those things are considered, especially when you're talking about high dollars. But I think more importantly, like the Raiders probably considered that move much more than Derek Carr did in the sense that, you know, when you get over a certain amount of money as a quarterback and you're getting paid market value, you know, you're, you you know, if you want to be with that specific team for an extended period of time, you're not going, Oh yeah, well, I don't want to sign with the Raiders because we're going to have two years of state, you know, California state taxes versus the next five or six years of, uh, of Nevada state taxes. We have a guest appearance here on the podcast. Somebody is on the people. Hey, (laughs) <laughs> hey <Yep>. people <laughs> beauty of podcasting at home <laughs> that's right folks under uh under COVID-19 uh quarantine and we have a guest I, can't hide. I know our first guest appearance already on the podcast but uh but anyway I I think like you said Blummer I mean hopefully that's what people tune in for the insight and of course the Players Association um which we talked about agencies last time definitely um have some say so when it comes to those kind of uh I want to say the cutting edge, but you know, the, the contracts that are pushing the envelope for the, for the entire union. Yep. All right. So moving on, this is not a question, but it's worth, uh, it's worth reading. Um, this is from our favorite Murphy. Uh, Murphy jr. Is a, 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 a consistent contributor to our, our, our bleacher blunt mailbag. So, uh, gentlemen, it has been quite a bit of time since I wrote in, but waned to toss the contractual technical phrase that y'all made reference to as the God clause. We talked about the God clause last uh, two podcasts ago. Mm-hmm. In my profession, we use the legal description is force majeure. Force majeure or vis major, meaning superior force, also known as cast fortuit or Cassius Fortuitous, chance occurrence. I love Cassius Clay. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean, I, I can't even believe I'm able to pronounce all this stuff. It's uh, pretty solid on your part, by the there way. There we go. So, Cass Fortuit or Cassius Fortuitous, chance occurrence, unavoidable accident, is a common clause in contracts that essentially frees both parties from liability or obligation when an extraordinary event or circumstance beyond the liability or obligation I'm sorry, extraordinary event or circumstance beyond the control of the parties, such as a war, strike, riot, crime, or an event described by the legal term act of God prevents one or both parties from fulfilling the obligations under the contract. In practice, most force majeure clauses do not excuse a party's non-performance entirely, but only suspend it for the duration of the force majeure. Also, Blummer stated, Sea sale was on the DL. He had to throw that in there. Yes, the injured list, we understand. But the DL is something that we are consistently trying to uh, eradicate or erase from our, from our lexicon. I apologize if I offended anybody. <laughs> so, uh, so excellent, though. I really, I, I mean, that, if anybody is keeping up with our podcast, then in podcast 61, we did talk about the God Clause. And now we have probably a much deeper and much more thorough understanding of not just the god clause or the force majeure but also latin and yes. we understand that tuttle is, has the ability to yeah and you know what i, I appreciate the clarity you know that's one thing you know if if i was a legal major you know i'd probably get a little more in depth but 
when an agent calls a player, that's the conversation last podcast that I was talking about. That's how we communicate with each other. Because if I'm, if I'm a player and you say force majeure, I think you're, you know, that's a morning activity that uh, usually happens <laughs> after coffee for, for me. But uh, speaking of, uh, but uh, usually, you know, when you're speaking to in ballplayer language, you got to say it's an act of God. And then you're like, oh, okay, so that's something out of the team's control. You know, and that's basically what it is. And the force majeure, which is actually interesting, is I've had a couple of text exchanges with uh, Julia Morales and Todd Callis, my two uh, partners in crime when we were actually calling games. And we've gone over that clause. That's the one clause that uh, TK actually, you know, took a picture of and sent to us. And I was like, that that's the clause that worries me a little bit because I don't want to get too far into it. But, uh, you, you know, that's kind of as broadcasters, we get paid for performance. And if the game is not going on, obviously the players aren't going to get paid for their performance. But guess what? There's a potential where the broadcasters won't get paid for their performance either. So this this coronavirus is really you know, it's affecting businesses all over the country. We know that a lot of these are starting to close down. You know, I'm, I'm reading stories about Macy's might possibly be going under, you know, that is a major corporation that has been a staple in American society for decades. And so that's where I'm starting to see a little bit of the concern, but uh, yeah, this, this thing is affecting everybody in every sense of the word, both sports and uh, in regular life. It's sad to see, man. It's tough to watch. But I appreciate the clarity and the explanation by uh, Murph on that one, getting it out there, because that is the legal term that is that is used, uh, especially in my contract. Yeah, no. And, and Blummer, thanks for sharing the insight there. And I know everybody is affected and we continually talk about the uh, the folks out there that are doing a great job, you know, kind of fighting through this in different industries. But obviously, the small businessman is is uh, struggling and, and a lot of other uh, venues and verticals in, in different industries mm-hmm. are struggling. And I, I guess my optimism says that, you know, if this goes on for like two or three more weeks, I think we'll all come out of this pretty rosy. But if this goes on for another two or three months, then we're, we're going to start to see, you know, some maybe some lingering and some long-term effects and some maybe more serious consequences. So let's just, uh, let's uh, continue to you know, pray to stay healthy and, uh, and focused and, uh, and come out of this on the, on the right side of it. I completely agree. All right. So Eric M, uh, another consistent contributor to the Bleacher Blums mailbag. Um, he wrote, I'm guessing my very subtle Tuttle and Blummer gum card segment ideas died on the warning track. Oh, well, <laughs> they can't, they can't all be home runs. Um, Speaking of baseball cards, I got six 1992 Stadium Club dome sets off eBay for eight bucks. I was surprised to know that Tuttle's card is one of four uncorrected errors and the only incorrect numbering numbered 187 instead of 188. Just need this coronavirus to go away so I can mail a couple of Tuttle's to Blummer to get signed. Don't really have a question, but love Corey's fitness tips. It's all about the calves and never skip leg day. Thanks, guys. Uh, that is yes. outstanding. That's a good email right there, man. I, I appreciate that. But Tuttle, you're you're still in circulation, man. Hey, when your card is uh, an incorrect numbering card, it's like one of those, you know, it's like when Billy Ripken got to put, uh, you know, F off on the bottom of his bat and it's <laughs> it slid through all the, uh, the checks. It's like, hey, there's some increased value when you, I guess when you're a misnumbered card. So who knows? No, that's pretty cool. And you know what? I actually have a, uh, a card of mine that has the wrong number uh, or has the wrong player on it. Uh, it's a guy named oh. Chris Schwab and it's a Don Russ <laughs> card. And it's, it's, I don't know what happened. I don't know if they came out and just, you know, I think what happens is a photographer will come out and they say, shoot number 29. And they come out and they start, they see number 29 and they just start taking pictures because I don't know if I wore 29 or what happened that year, but all of a sudden I'm signing, I'm looking at these cards and they're, Hey, can you sign this card? And I look at it. I don't read the name. I just see the picture and I go, no, I'm not going to sign this. It's not me. They're like, no, your name's right here. And I went, Oh crap. Flip the card (laughs) over, flip the card over. I'll try and see if I can find one around the house and uh, hold it up for everybody uh, next podcast. But uh, it's, it's my name, my numbers, my stats, Florida state league, the whole thing. And then you flip it over and it's still Chris Schwab. And so (laughs) I felt bad for the fans, so I wouldn't. I would sign it, but I would write over his face, "Not me," and then oh, I'd sign funny. Jeff Blum. So, <laughs> you know, what, hey, for what it's worth. 
Fair. Well, Chris Schwab, if he's listening, then, uh, you know, he can sign over your face, not me or something like that and send you a card. Yep. That's funny. All right. We got one more. Um, this is a, an interesting one. I don't know if we've ever looked that deeply into this from Rusty A. Rusty A, thanks for writing in. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, love the podcast from both of you guys. I think the Bleacher Blums podcast is helping with my sanity during the lockdown. So thanks for putting this together each week. While trying to figure out what the heck I'm going to do for a month, I happened to rewatch the 1986 National League Championship Series between the Astros and the Mets. The similarities are striking from a pitching perspective. Granke had a two-hitter going and looked unstoppable, and Bob Nepper had a two-hitter going through eight when he got pulled in the top of the ninth. I see you nodding, Blummer, so this is something that's come up, I guess. Uh, both games had relievers. I was that watching this uh, same replay. Oh, nice. Both games had relievers that were unusually unhittable, and the way the stars aligned, both of them got rocked, Dave Smith and Will Harris. Not sure I would have ever seen the parallels without having the time during the shutdown to watch and analyze. Very cool to see how the more things change, the more they stay the same. Any thoughts on the parallels between these games? My buddies got me a Blummer shout-out for Christmas, and I think it was the best Christmas present I got this past year. Keep up the great work, Blummer and Tuttle. Wow. Uh, that is a great email. We appreciate uh, you reaching out. And I was actually watching the same game and Nepper, you know, was dealing, uh, you know, he had a big walk in that game. He was over, you know, it was, there were so many different things going on in that series, but it was a lot of fun to watch for me just because I try and keep up on my Astros history, number one, so that I can tell stories when there are similarities, you know, between generations and decades and eras and teams. And that was definitely one of them because Nepper was one of those guys that uh, you didn't expect too much. And it was a big game for him to pitch because if they ended up winning game six of 1986, they would have gotten to game seven where Mike Scott would have pitched and maybe propelled the Astros into their first ever World Series in 1996 against or 1986 against the uh, Boston Red Sox. So who knows? But uh, there are similarities. And I think I don't want to talk about the similarities between game seven of 2019 and game six of 1986 in the NLDS. I want to speak a little bit and maybe you can agree with me or disagree with me, but it kind of speaks. Disagree. No, I'm kidding. Oh, typical. <laughs> but uh, what I love about baseball is, is that it is generational. So the parents or the, or the kids that were watching in 1986 are watching the same game in 2019 and can now relate to their kids and go, man, I saw a game just like this in 1986. And that's where I think baseball has become that more generational type sport where you can have a generation speak to another generation who can have a similar example 30 years prior and then have another one 30 years later and enjoy it in that sense. So I think that's kind of cool or even 40 years in, in, in some of the senses, but uh, that's just the beauty of baseball for me is that you can, watch the game in its current form with the modern day ball player, bat flipping, spinning, uh, getting taken out, using bullpens. And then you go back to 1986 and you see a guy who's pitching his absolute ass off and then ends up losing the game. I mean, it's a tough sport. It's brutal, but it is uh, uh, transgenerational, so to speak. It is. And it is nice to see, um, some of the similarities, like you said, that the sport doesn't change. I, I it just made me think of, uh, I don't know if it's because Houstonians are following me on Twitter or vice versa, but uh, they showed uh, it was Earl Campbell's birthday recently. Oh, yeah. And they showed that run that he had, but oh. oh, he was great. I love Earl Campbell, but they showed his, uh, his touchdown celebration and they were saying it was slightly different than Billy White Shoes Johnson, yeah. which is Campbell ran like 70 yards and he turned around, he couldn't find the referee fast enough and he <laughs> hands the ball to the back judge and walks to the sideline. It's like, anyway, so you were just talking about bat flips and stuff like that. I mean, strategically and statistically, maybe there are a lot of similarities, but obviously with our kind of, um, you know, as generations change, so do some of the reactions and some of the, the things that we tolerate. And I know there's a lot of grouchy folks that think that, you know, like players shouldn't be friends with each other in the off season or whatever. So, you know, there, there are some dynamics that change, but it really is nice to see the consistency. As you said, this is a, uh, a high level professional athlete doing, uh, doing amazing things, you know, on a big stage. And it's, uh, it's fun to watch. It is. Is that going to do it for mailbag? Oh yes. Mailbag is over. 
Nice. Well, great job on mailbag. Everybody that wrote in, good job on translating Latin for us, Tuttle. I mean, you never know what you're going to get in these things, and that's the beauty of it. So we absolutely encourage everybody who's new to Bleacher Blums and those of you who have been hanging out with us for a good year now, go ahead and go to bleacherblums.com. Uh, Just Geek It Solutions has done a great job in setting up our website and allowing us the access to our fans. So get on there, go to the mailbag, text us, call us, write us, whatever it takes. And of course, you can find our Twitter handles and Instagram handles on there. We keep it simple for you. You can find David Tuttle on Twitter at RealDavidTuttle and on Instagram at the same handle. And myself, Blummer, you can find me at Blummer27 on Twitter and on Instagram, which has been pretty interesting in, uh, in this uh, lockdown situation because idle minds, uh, I don't know if they're creative or not, but there's been moments of greatness on my stories, but Tuttle, man, you know what? I think there's one thing we've kind of gotten away from is the fitness aspect of, of what we do, because you write when you said it earlier that we are, uh, as far as baseball is concerned, we are fossils. We may belong in Jurassic Park playing more games than we, than we should, but uh, we, we both try and, and stay fit. And that's one of the things that I don't think we've talked about on this podcast. And I don't know if we have time to or even want to, but we have plenty of time, that's for sure is that, uh, you know, you are a big CrossFit guy. And I had no idea now that I've been seeing you be a little more active on Instagram is, dude, you've got like barbells and weights at the house and you've been throwing them around in the backyard, haven't you? I have. I appreciate you noticing. You know, um, I think uh, there's a social aspect to CrossFit. And as everything is closed down, we're kind of trying to stay most of those posts are for the rest of the members in the gym, but uh, trying to stay communal about it. And uh, it's funny because I don't have barbells and weights at the house normally, but as soon as this thing started to go down, um, I kind of scrambled. I know there are no weights or anything left on Amazon, somebody said, but I borrowed a dumbbell from my neighbor. Um, My CrossFit gym owner does not want to give out the stuff from the gym. They're still using it. And, you know, he has enough members where it's like, if so-and-so got this, then nobody got that. So I had to borrow an old barbell, I guess, that he had in his garage and some plates. And uh, yeah, it's it's been a way to uh, at least kind of maintain the fitness, but also maintain the sanity that comes with that workout for me. And I, I read an article a long time ago about and we all feel like this. You're talking about staying in shape as well. I know you guys go for walks and you've got your own fitness routine there at home. But, uh, you know, and we've been doing that as well, like walking the dog every night and just getting outside and getting some fresh air. But uh, not only endorphins, people like to go to the endorphin, you know, they're like, oh, well, there's, I get so many endorphins after my workout. It's true. But uh, some of the, the length and the, the depth of these CrossFit workouts, I was reading an article saying that, um, you know, if you start pushing yourself hard enough, you get to this point of, I don't know if it's survival, but uh, your brain, it's not just endorphins, produces a chemical that is like an energy chemical that, mm-hmm. I mean, this is actually a physiological response. I believe and, this, yeah. Yeah, all right. And I've become addicted to that, I think, more than anything. And so, yes, the posts are uh, a little bit about fitness and, you know, hopefully getting myself on Instagram a little more often because I'm terrible with social media, but it's kind of keeping the gym members uh accountable and you know communal during this time of kind of isolation so uh so yeah i'm i'm way into crossfit i i did steal some barbells and some plates from the owner of my gym and i borrowed a dumbbell over here and i've been doing tons of burpees and double under jump ropes and ugh. so it's not fun i'm taking the day off today in case you're wondering but i'm i'm pretty sore and i, I have seen a few posts from your house uh, my calves are not going to get to where Corey wants my calves but uh <laughs> But uh, she's been doing some like online kind of type stuff. And I don't know if you guys have like a Peloton or anything. Why don't, why don't you tell us about your fitness routine there, Mr. Yeah, we, yeah we've been actually lucky. Uh, we moved into a new house in September and it's a little bit closer to the high school, which was good for the girls when they were actually going to school. But uh, it's actually a pretty cool spot because there's a green belt behind the house, which kind of gives us a little bit of privacy, but it also gives us a space where, you know, the dogs can go running a little bit. And then there's also out in front of the house, there's a huge lake and there's these concrete paths going around the lake and they kind of spider off and go into some of the other neighborhoods, which is kind of cool. So we kind of, yesterday we investigated where one of these paths went and it actually, ironically enough, cut through a uh, a little bit of a, a pasture or a bayou, you know, with it's used for some of the runoff when it starts to rain here. 
And we, we end up in front of one of our favorite donut shops, ironically enough, you know, so you're kind of like, Hey man, who, you know, who planned this whole thing? But, uh, a product placement is everything. And we ended up over by the high school. So it was kind of a nice route, kind of mixed things up a little bit. But our goal is my, my left knee has been killing me. Uh, you know, I don't know if I did something when I was playing, but I think when this whole thing's over, it may become an essential uh, MRI type situation to get checked out. But, you know, we'll walk a mile, jog a quarter, you know, walk a quarter mile, jog a quarter mile. I'm a jog walk guy. I love that. Um, but, uh, when I get back to the house, I'm big, like you said, on the push-ups, the burpees, the, you know, the sit-ups, trying to be creative with the planking and body weight stuff. Cause I don't have the weights that uh, we normally do. We actually just, uh, created a membership at a local club that just opened up about, you know, two weeks before the coronavirus hit and now they're shut down. So I'm kind of just, just, uh, disappointing in that sense that we don't have a new gym to go work out at and get creative with because they did a good job with the setup but yeah it's been a little more creative with uh you know how many burpees how many push-ups i can do and i think it's kind of interesting to see around like your friends my friends and i'm sure with people in your gym you know it it's one i don't know if it's boredom or if it's discipline i want to believe that it's discipline that allows you to go out there and and make yourself stay healthy you know, and hopefully by the time this thing is over, I'll be nice and felt. Yeah, you know, there's, I read an article on that recently as well, and it is tough. I think it's kind of like you, um, whatever your fallback is, is where your habits go. So, you know, if you were kind of starting on this path of, I mean, you know, I, I should get back to the donut thing, by the way, it sounded like run, run a little, oh, jog a little, eat a donut. Like that's, that's <laughs> it not would, a it would have been the perfect routine. combo, dude. Yeah. Go get it. Hey, Oh, look where we ended up. I went like a mile and a half to get here. I, I earned this. Yeah. But, but, but that does kind of dovetail into what I'm talking about, which is, I think, you know, we've been eating at home a lot prior to the COVID-19. We cook at home a lot during the week and then we eat out on the weekends. But, uh, you know, the habits are kind of already instilled. I mean, fitness is a part of our daily routine. Eating fairly health, health, uh, healthfully is part of our daily routine. There have been some, you know, Addie's been baking a little bit more during the, uh, during the shut-in. So maybe some more oatmeal chocolate chip cookies than I would, <laughs> I would normally eat. But, uh, you know, the whole thing, the whole thing is, uh, I don't know, to your point, I think if you were down a different path, of like, you know, eating poorly and eating out a lot and not working out, this doesn't help you because those habits are kind of already ingrained. And in a time of stress, you kind of fall back on those habits. And so hopefully not just encouraging people out there to kind of stay with their routine and, you know, eat healthfully and work out. But both of those things I think are true, which is whatever kind of path you were on, whatever habits are instilled, probably get magnified at a time like this. And I think, uh, you know, hopefully, if you're, if you're going down the wrong path, you can, you can <laughs> literally down by the donut store, you can actually turn around and head back home. So. Yep. No, I agree. I think by the end of this, if you're a psychiatrist, psychologist, sociologist, it, this whole COVID-19 lockdown, quarantining, I mean, there, imagine the, and I don't want to go spinning off in, you know, into the darkness like you can when you start clicking things on the internet, but it, I mean, the social experiment that is called COVID-19 lockdown is going to be absolutely incredible because, I mean, we internalize everything. We're figuring more out about ourselves. We're figuring more out about our families. I think both you and I can attest, and I was texting a very good friend the other day, you know, we never realized how much we love our family or we are grateful for our family until you're locked inside with them for a good 15, 20 days and you say, okay. This is, uh, this is going to be okay. And I think that's probably the underlying theme here is that we are all going to be okay eventually when we do come out of this thing. But we appreciate you hanging with us. And we appreciate you putting up with uh, so, some of the thoughts from the bleachers, as we like to call it. But we're going to move on. And I'm going to have to put on the specs here as we head into uh, maybe a little bit of sports potluck as we try and find some of the stories that we find interesting throughout the course of this uh, shutdown that we are in with all the sports being shut down. Um, I think most interesting, the one I wanted to talk about, there's a couple, but uh, the Olympics have been postponed a year. And I thought, you know, I made a couple of notes on this, which are kind of interesting to me. And I feel terrible for a guy who's a friend of mine and Julia Morales's husband, who, you know, is a member of the team Mexico, who's going to the, the Tokyo Olympics. And he had to find out that they are not going this season. But it's kind of interesting that the announcement comes after several countries had pulled out 
but the IOC is saying, no, we're going to hold on and stick to the integrity of the game. I think integrity gets thrown out the window and you start to decide what's better for the global community than the integrity exactly. of your particular sport or event. And I, they finally canceled it. But Tuttle, could you, I mean, how, it, was it really that hard for the Olympic committee to sit there and go, hmm, we've got an event that goes every four years the city built specific stadiums for this that are going to be up for the next 20 years. What if we just push it back a year? I mean, wouldn't it be a luxury to be able to know that you have a four year window to be able to push back an event and say, okay, we're just going to do this in 2021. So luckily they did cancel it for this year and push it back. Uh, but man, it was really that tough a decision to cancel it and move it to 2021 when you know you've got four years to figure this, figure out when you want to do it. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's a great question. And from an event standpoint, I say no, it's not that difficult with this global pandemic. And, you know, I mean, we, we continue to talk about um, not being epidemiologists and infectious disease doctors, but also the unknown. The unknown is the most difficult for everybody. And I think that that's what they're talking about um, when there's dollars at stake. My thing is when it comes down to the individual athlete, and you mentioned that I played on Team USA with uh, some big league guys. I like you know, where you're going with this. All right. Yeah. So, so a really interesting thing about that, and my wife and I talked about this recently is, you know, it really has to do with your birth year. <laughs> you know, it's like if I, if I was born a year later and I made Team USA, I would have been on the Olympic team. <laughs> so, you know, instead of being on the Pan American team, yeah. which, you know, regardless, it doesn't matter, but that really is like what year you're in the moment and what year that, that event falls, if that makes sense. So to your point mm -hmm. about um, Julia's husband is that, you know, he's getting a year older and, you know, maybe some young up and coming guy, you know, I mean, you have these tryouts every year. I, I think about club soccer. I know two girls that were trying out for this club soccer team and uh, one of them made it and one didn't, they were best friends. And then the next year they both tried out for the same team and the other girl didn't have a good tryout and the other girl did. And so they dropped her friend and then she made it. So never, we're both of them on the same team, but they're trying out. So I don't know if that affects Matt in any specific way, but I will say that there's so much like serendipity from an individual athlete standpoint, like how good you are that year, you're riding this wave of confidence and ability into this moment where, hey, I'm gonna be on the Olympic team. And we talked about this a little bit last podcast with free agency and you know years of service and things like that. But this may be for many of these athletes, a once in a lifetime thing. And for example, like Michael Phelps, he came back that one last year to get a couple medals in some events where that was the tail end. He was 30 or whatever he was. And this is his fourth Olympic games in a row. You know, if, if it's somebody like that and they push it a year, it might be really difficult to make the team. So I, I know that spun a little bit away from where you were saying from an Olympic committee standpoint, very easy to cancel it and push it forward. We do not want to bring people from all walks of life from all over the globe into this one area. You know, I actually saw a funny post the other day. It said, um, we're having a march to end the spread. And they posted a photo of all these people, <laughs> right? It was like a championship parade. Like, let's have a march to end the spread of the coronavirus. Everybody pushed into one little area. So I think from that perspective, you know, obviously like there's two sides to every coin easy decision for the IOC to cancel the Olympic games or push it a year for people like Matt, Julia's husband, and some other folks. Um, my brother just mentioned a mountain biker up in uh, Mill Valley. She's notoriously or regarded as the number one mountain biker in the entire world, which happens to be an Olympic event as well. And she, her training and everything like that has to be pushed out another year. So, you know, for the individual athlete, it may be a little more difficult. Yeah. And that actually, I'm glad you brought that up because I made a couple of notes about that. Obviously the four-year window makes it an easy decision just to push this back, but the who gets affected when you do that. It's not the fan because their tickets are still going to be honored. You're still going to have the opportunity, <coughs> excuse me, to be able to take advantage of going to the event and enjoying it. It affects the athlete. Now, here's my question to you, David Tuttle, since you brought it up and you're that intuitive about the situation, having been on that Team USA side, would you lock in the rosters and keep the athletes and allow them to play and not adjust the roster unless there is an injury? Well, I mean, I, I guess I, I don't know if I have a direct answer for that. I mean, from an unbiased, like crazy source, Fun. I would, yeah, from an unbiased, like crazy source, I would say, you know, like 
I mean, this isn't like the feel good Olympics, right? Do you lock them in or do you want the best players, right? If this is coming down to. You have to think about this kind of stuff. That's why I'm at. This is great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as a GM, what do they do? I mean, what I know what Bill Belichick would do. You know, (laughs) no way. Bill O'Brien would do. That's right. I'm not locking in my roster. Bill O'Brien be like, yeah, let's lock in the roster. I like these guys. These are great guys. So I don't care if he's injured. We'll just trade him later. That's right. So anyway, so we get off. a little bit on a tangent there, but I, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. I think if you want to field the best team, then you just kind of open it back up when, when the, you know, tryouts and the qualifications and the year comes by now, because it's a non-Olympic year that they're pushing it into, maybe there isn't a way to, um, you know, I mean, the world championships kind of fall at a spot where, you know, or the, or the, you know, the points they finish, maybe there is no other um, kind of competition to figure out like how, how we would reshuffle the team as well. So I I have to do a little more research on that, but I would say that it would be a mistake to lock those guys in unless there was some sort of, um, I don't know, I don't know, some sort of reasoning behind it. I mean, we're not, we're not doing this so that they can, you know, make the Olympic team. We're doing this so that that country has the best chance to be as successful as possible. No, I like it. And, you know, my initial reaction was lock everybody in so they have the opportunity. But you're right. There is also that aspect of we want to go out and win as many medals as we can and prove that we are the most athletic country out there. And that's what every country is thinking when they move into that situation. So good insight on your behalf, Total. I appreciate it. Uh, Another interesting note is uh, the Wimbledon has been canceled. And I read something that said that that will be the first time that Wimbledon tennis has been canceled since World War II. Uh, so kind of putting things in perspective with this global pandemic. And then another article I ran across that I found kind of interesting. Uh, before I get to that, I just want to make a note that Severino of the Yankees is having uh, Tommy John surgery in this shortened season, possibly. Chris Sale is another guy that's having uh, Tommy John surgery. And Noah Syndergaard is having uh, Tommy John surgery. So three key parts of rotations around the major leagues are going into uh, surgery to have those Tommy Johns taken and replaced and we won't see them probably until May of next year which is interesting in the strike shortened season or not strike shortened but in this virus shortened season that these guys are opting to uh, have that surgery done so best of luck to them but getting back to baseball uh, well let me I was just gonna make a comment about that I think it's funny because I I listened to um, Chris Long talk about um, Toradol and some of the things they put in their knee and their shoulders to go out and play every week no Um, professional athletes never do that man yeah, right. So, but the NFL players, I mean, they're notorious for taking things in a good way so that they can, um, you know, so they can get on the field. And I think this speaks to some of the toughness of the baseball players. And, and I know that, you know, they get recommendations for from doctors and whatnot, and they get paid a lot of money to get out there. But Severino's kind of had some issues for the last year. Uh, Chris Sale last year had a significant decline at the beginning of the year, and then he came on strong because he knows how to pitch and his acumen was there. Um, Syndergaard again, I mean, the guy throws 99 most of the time and he was throwing 94 and like, ah, 94 is still good. And he was just kind of using that ability to pitch and, um, kind of tough it, tough through it or tough it out and make it through this, uh, you know, his shoulder obviously was not right. Uh, I'm sorry, his, uh, his elbow with the Tommy John surgery is not right. But, um, but I think it just, you know, not to tip the cap to baseball players, but I think it just goes to show when you play a 162 game season and you're relied on and depended on by your teammates that these guys were just gonna, they were just gonna soldier up and get out there <laughs> and, and see if they couldn't help the team and uh, you know, kind of rest the shoulder, maybe take extra days here and there. When in reality, there's an underlying uh, significant injury that they're now you know, looking at from an economical standpoint um, and I mean economic of pitches, not economics and money. Like, hey, if I do this now, I can get back for next season. And this would be a great time to do that. So I think let's just tip a cap to uh, some of the toughness of these guys that get out there and throw uh, every fifth day, inning after inning, day after day. Nope. Spoken like a true pitcher. I appreciate you, Tuttle, for pointing that out. Pitching every five days, man. Gamers. Absolute gamers. Let me just give it a while. Uh-oh. Sarcasm. <laughs> I was going to say, oh, yeah, I forgot. Pitchers are athletes, too. Hey. <laughs> we'll, 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 uh, we'll do that out some other time. I uh, know. But uh, you're right. It, you know, it's an interesting time, and they didn't really announce those surgeries, both Sale and Syndergaard, until after the coronavirus was, was found to have an effect on what's going to happen in baseball. 
So they made that decision relatively late or what uh, we didn't suspect to actually happen. So I just want to get back to an article that Tom Verducci wrote. And obviously I'm pro Astro because I work for them. And uh, he wrote an interesting article in, on SI.com that said, you know what, the booing aspect of the game is always going to be a part of baseball. And it should be a part of baseball when the Astros come back. They deserve to get some of that on-field ragging, booing, whatever you call it. But he would, he's kind of spoke to the point he would like to see everybody kind of back off all the Twitter hate and the Twitter rage and some of the rage and discussions of, you know, cursing, the vitriol, the death threats and things like that. He, he kind of feels like it's gotten a little out of control. And during this time of a global pandemic, he kind of said, you know, this should be a time of healing. This should be a time of understanding that, yes, what they did was wrong. But at the same time, baseball is going to be the, the, the great healer of what's going to happen, hopefully moving forward in sport. They're trying to aim for baseball to be that one sport that comes back and kind of shows the way on how we get back to baseball. But he's a little concerned about what he's seeing online. And what I'm seeing online, too, is a lot of these Twitter threads, if guys try to tweet out positivity or you see an article about Correa donating $500,000 worth of medical equipment, you're going to have one of those idiots on there that says, oh, you're still a cheater kind of thing. And things need to be put back in perspective. What they did was wrong. We get that. But using using some of this as another avenue to get some of your hate out there is not right. And it kind of gets back to the purity of the game. Can we get back to the purity of baseball? And that's what I think that this virus has done and this lockdown has done has gotten us back to the purity of family. It's gotten us back to the purity of co connectivity and being able to reach out and be a part of somebody's life and understanding how important that is to not only myself, but to other people out there, you know, there's a lot of people dealing with mental health issues that are struggling right now in times of anxiety. We need to reach out and be a part of their lives, but we also need to remember that the, it's still a game and these guys are playing hard to win and we can boo them all we want. We can boo the number. I mean, the thing on the front of their chest, but let's kind of take the uh, negativity and the hate out of it because it's so unhealthy in a time that we need to start thinking about being healthy. And I just thought that was interesting. So if you have the time, go check out Tom Verducci's article on SI.com. And uh, hopefully we do get back to the purity of the game because booing is a part of it. Hating the name on the front of the chest is part of it, but taking it to the extent where you're threatening families and yelling at people for something like the Astros did and many other teams did around the league is we're going to find out when the Boston Red Sox get their punishment. Let's just kind of back off on that. Boo them, uh, dislike them, but don't get rid of the hate and all this stuff. It's just too much right now. Yeah. And I think that's a, a valid point. I mean, I don't know if, um, is it too extreme to give somebody a death threat for uh, like hitting a trash can? I didn't, I didn't realize that that was a, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not a sociologist or a psychiatrist, but that may be a little deep. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that you're, I mean, not only is your point well taken, I mean, it's so true that we have this, uh, I don't know if this desire or need, but I think I, I, like you said, I think the Twitter sphere is what we continue to, we continue to call it. Uh, Joe Rogan talks about not reading any of those comments. And I know that's easier said than done. Mm -hmm. He doesn't read or respond to any of that stuff. And I think we would all be um, in a better position if we took that same approach and that there's some, there's some, uh, like you said, it's like beer muscles with anonymity, right? You know, this guy has Good, like great analogy. Yeah. So, I mean, with anonymity comes a lot of toughness. And I think that, uh, you know, to give people death threats is really, I mean, I, I realize the Dodgers feel wronged. I realize there's other teams out there that feel wronged and they have the right to do that. The funny thing is I grew up with the Giants Dodgers rivalry. It didn't even matter if the Dodgers were good or the Giants were good or both teams were bad. They hate each other regardless. And you're going to see booing out there, but it was specific to, as you said, like, like fandom. And I think that that's a fair, which is what Verducci is saying. That's a fair kind of, um, place to take your hate like hey we hate the dodgers or we hate the giants like mm -hmm. that's fair but as you said to to have death threats for individual players or um you know to take it to the lengths that some people have taken it um is is not only disrespectful i mean for the most part i think it's illegal <laughs> and uh and it and it and it really just shouldn't it shouldn't be a part of the game and i think like you said maybe maybe the coronavirus or the covid19 and the and the connectivity that we're all kind of feeling with each other as a society will carry on into the season if we ever get this thing started and that'd be a great thing.
It would be a great thing. And I think baseball could be the distraction that we all need from everything that is going on and get back on the field and play. A couple of, the other, a couple of other notes as I try to read and speak at the same time is news came out uh, that the minor leaguers are going to get $400 a week until May 31st, which I think is a great thing. So those minor league guys will be compensated who don't make big league money. I think that is a fantastic idea. So kudos to uh, whoever initiated that thought and kudos to the owners for agreeing to that thought. And then I saw something on Yahoo Sports the other day where the NBA has said that, well, entertaining the idea of, of playing at one site with all 30 teams and getting their schedule in and playing. And, huh, are they listening to us at all, David Tuttle? Because I believe that we spoke about that a couple of podcasts ago. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's, uh, I mean, that was your idea, but uh, I don't know if it's just kind of um, something that kind of makes its way around or if they're actually listening to the Bleacher Blums podcast. I'd like to think the latter is true, but, uh, you know, maybe they're just thinking outside the box. My wife was giving me a hard time. I found uh, an old, like, I just got into the Premier League soccer, as I mentioned before, with my uh, daughters enjoying soccer at a decently high level. And, uh, you know, she went to take a nap this weekend and I laid down on the couch and found like a soccer game from 2011. It was like Wayne Rooney's first game with, you know, a certain team. And she's like, are you really watching a 2011 like Premier League soccer game? And I'm like, absolutely, you know? And we already talked about the 1980, ooh, knocked my phone over. Uh, we already talked about the 1986 game that we just watched, right? The similarities with mm -hmm. Granky and, I mean, it's kind of funny how even in this time where we don't have the things that we're comfortable with and as much as we watch sports and like to talk about sports, we don't have those things. So we, uh, I don't know, I'm trying to find a fallback plan until this thing clears up. So maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe the, maybe they are listening to the Bleacher Blumps podcast. Hopefully they are. And, uh, and, you know, it wouldn't be the first time somebody stole a great idea from Blummer. Nope. And speaking of great ideas and good times on the Bleacher Blums podcast, this is a part of the podcast where I get to throw it to my good buddy because everybody wants to know what'll Tuttle say. Nice. I got a short one today, Blummer. Um, I feel like we just recorded one recently, but uh, I'm going to save my big topic for the next time because it's, uh, it's a really good one. So a little teaser there, folks. I've we, got a good... Tuttle, guess what? what? We've got time. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know, but we'll just record the next one. I just want to save it. We're just, I don't want to, I don't want to Teasers, I like too it. long. Yeah, we'll tease it for next time. So my, uh, my two things are, uh, I do a dad joke. Um, yeah, I brought a dad joke. I don't know if you have any more for Blum and Blummer. I see your straight face. Here we go. I'm going to try straight and play face. straight. See if you get me. Yes. All right. What did the janitor say when he walked out of the closet? Oof, that's dangerous. I do not know. Supplies. <laughs> you got me. All right. I got you. Got funny. Okay. I needed that. All right. Good. So I hope the, the audience appreciates that. And then my, my, uh, my what'll Tuttle say is really a question for you. I'll have a statement behind it. But what in the world is wrong with Aubrey Huff? Oh, like, man. Oh, my gosh. So I, I saw his I video. Saying, do you want me to answer that right now? <laughs> no, no. I mean, we, yes, I do want you to answer it, but let me have a statement. I saw his video the other day, and I don't know if people are following him. He seemed one of those guys that's on the, uh, the cutting edge of sanity, and he feels like uh, we were just talking about Twitter sphere and the Twitterverse, where everybody can get an audience. Um, I don't know, but... Uh, I mean, he, he, he has made some crazy comments before, but I just think that, um, you know, we talked about this, maybe the glue and the, the camaraderie and the connectivity in society is getting a little more solid in a time we'll kind of need to, to shelter in place and, and kind of fight this thing together by, by staying separate and, um, you know, and kind of following the rules. And he seems to be going off the rails um, in more ways, it's, uh, I don't know. I mean, you actually were in a clubhouse with him. So I, I think we've touched on this before that he was maybe not even the greatest teammate back then a little, uh, about himself in the clubhouse, which is sometimes hard to deal with, which we've both dealt with in the past as well. But, uh, I don't know. Do you see a huge difference in the Aubrey Huff that was your teammate or is this, uh, I don't know. 
what, what what's wrong with him and why can't we uh can't we rein him in or reel him in well i think we can blame social media a little bit because you and i both know having been on social media for a while and going through for, especially for myself and astro players and staff going through what they're going through and understanding that you know, and shoot, even if you follow politics, you understand that negativity is going to get more of a response than positivity. And I think that's kind of where uh, Aubrey has fallen into, where the, the sensationalism and the extremism gets the clicks and gets the attention. I'm not sure if that's what I want or maybe what this podcast wants. We try and, we try and stay a little more on par with uh, rational thought processes. But I think, like you said earlier, when you have that, uh, you know, you have the comfort of sitting behind a keyboard, you get a little more courageous because you don't have to back up anything you're saying. You can just go ahead and fire it out there and see what, what sticks, what gets clicked, what gets liked, and you can move on from it. But when I played in, with Aubrey Huff in 2004, I actually got along with the guy. I mean, every guy has an ego inside a major league clubhouse. Every guy is a little bit selfish. So I can't, I never held that against guys when I played with them because I understood that, you know, deep down, eventually this is a business and you're trying to create a livelihood and a career for not only yourself, but for your family in order to provide them a, a solid living and a future. But, you know, I know that, you know, I don't know, I don't know the specifics of Aubrey Huff, but I know for a fact that he did take some time away from the game because he had anxiety issues. And I don't know if it's a mental issue or if it's an anxiety issue or if it was just a breakdown because Zach Granke's another guy who's been dealing with uh, anxiety in the game of baseball. There's a lot of pressure and expectation on these guys. So I understand that aspect of it, but I don't know how much of it carried over to what's going on now, because I know that he is, man, you know, the, I don't follow him on Twitter. Everything that I hear about him has been shown to me from other people who are in shock and awe of what is actually going on on his Twitter feed. And then I read it and I go, oh my God, what is going on? But, you know, in the, in the few times that I've seen him outside the game in past years, he's been fine. He's been perfectly enjoyable and holds, holds a conversation and sounds sane. But I don't know if it's just the, 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 the social keyboard virus I don't know we maybe we need to come up with a name for it but once you get behind that keyboard courage and all of a sudden you start firing things out there or you let your unleash your anger on the public it comes out a little wild and a little crazy at times so I I feel like he's okay but I also feel like at the same time he got a reaction he likes the reaction and he's going to continue to get the reaction but I don't I can't I wish I could explain more but I just don't know him that in depth and I you know, if, if he, if he rolled across the front, my front lawn today, I'd be like, Hey, Robbie, what's going on? And we'd probably sit down and talk about some of the maddening times that we had in 2004, trying to deal with Lou Pinella, you know? Yeah. You guys might have that in common, that Lou Pinella, uh, <laughs> yeah. that Lou Pinella vitriol. You know, what's really interesting about that is, and I appreciate you providing that in the what I'll total say segment is that, you know, I try not to get wrapped up in that either, but, uh, you know, being a, I knew he was a former teammate of yours and, you know, being a former ball player that's getting so much publicity, I think maybe you're right. Maybe you did the, what I usually do to you. You just talked me off the ledge and said, Hey, calm down. You know, he's not this crazy guy. Maybe that he is, you know, we talk about interviews and different things that get taken out of context. I mean, there are plenty of people that, uh, you know, believe in, you know, that everybody should have as many guns as possible in this country. There's many people that believe some of the other things that he believes. Um, but he's getting a lot of, like you said, negative publicity around that. And he just seems a little kind of like red faced and crazy about it. But maybe, like you said, maybe it's not as far fetched or as crazy as it seems. And, uh, and uh, you know, who knows, like you said, who knows, but uh, that's, that's all I have for what will Tuttle say. I do have a bigger topic for next time as I already teased, but I was just kind of wanting to, I don't know, want to, wanting to fetter that out and see what was going on. No, it's an interesting topic and it, you know, man, there's so many pieces of that onion to unfold, but uh, he's an interesting follow if you really want to get out there and follow him. But at the same time, if you, if you're around baseball, like Tuttle and I are, you really don't need to follow him because there's somebody who's going to go text the screenshot of his tweet and go, dude, can you believe he said this? So uh, there's a lot of that going on, especially now with all this idle time that everybody has to be a little more I don't, there's gotta be another word for creative when it comes out the way it does like that on some people. Yeah. But, Unhinged. Uh, I don't know. So, <laughs> so speaking, speaking of idle time, it's time for Blum and Blummer. And let's, let's hear what, what you've been doing in your idle time, Mr. Blum. 
in my idle time. It's funny you talk about idle time because I appreciate you getting the dad joke out there and maybe we become a little more dad jokey these days. And I know that my wife is fed up with my constant dad jokes. So I asked her, how can I stop my addiction? And my wife said, whatever means necessary. And I said, no, it doesn't. Oh my God, another joke. (laughs) (laughs) I like it, I like it. Okay, so that that kind of breaks the seal on that. A couple of good dad jokes for you, but uh, in all seriousness, a lot of people who listen to Bleacher Blums know that uh, I am not in the A-Rod fan club. Despite everything he tries to say he's cool at, I'm not a fan. It goes back to our playing days and now here that he's the face of baseball having served the longest suspension in the planet. And there's somebody who's backing me up. His name is Paul LaDuca. I've been playing against Paul LaDuca. We're roughly the same age. I know you may have crossed paths with him in the minor leagues. And uh, I played against him when he was at Arizona State. Very good hitter. He was in the Mitchell Report. He came out and said that he did do steroids and PEDs and things like that. So, you know, Paul LaDuca took it on the chin. Now he's in the horse racing business. He's actually on TV doing color analyst uh, stuff for him, which is kind of interesting. But I read an article and heard some sound from him when he was on WFAN, the radio station, and there's an article in the USA Today. And he says, people know I'm not a fan, and I'm sorry, never will be a fan of A-Rod. I just think he's one of the fakest people out there. The way he gets put on a pedestal now is beyond me. So a shout out to Paul LaDuca for reinforcing and jumping on the bandwagon that I've been on for a long time, that A-Rod, I don't get it. I, I still don't get it. I don't know what he brings to the game. Uh, and that is going to do it for that portion of Blum and Blum or the negative part. But on the happier side, today, what do you got? Uh, let me just jump in on A-Rod for one second. So I, I think we can all agree that he was a pretty fantastic baseball player from a young age. But, uh, but I actually have to just – I have to be on the same bandwagon. I did, I did play against Paul Duca, which doesn't mean anything in this context. But uh, to your point, I think there are guys – we just talked about Aubrey Huff. It's really interesting that you had that in your, uh, in your segment. That, uh, you know, you play in the clubhouse with certain guys. You are around certain guys, and there are certain guys you get along with and certain guys you don't. It doesn't usually have to do with, as you said, whether it be – ego or selfishness or whatever but I mean A-Rod always came across as a disingenuous guy he still comes across as a disingenuous guy and uh and so I don't I don't think what Paul Duca said and and you know is earth shattering just like you said it's it's something that's never probably going to change for you and it's just you know brain chemistry his brain chemistry doesn't jive with my brain chemistry and doesn't jive with your brain chemistry and I think that's a pretty well-known fact and uh and that's and I, I would completely agree with you and Paul yeah and it's funny you bring up chemistry because I really do believe that he was a phenomenal baseball player you know even you know it, it's even through I don't even think he needed it but anyways, he did it, and that's what drives me nuts. Is he's not very apologetic for it. Him commenting on the Astros scandal was beyond Man. thoughts. I, I, you know, I don't understand where the value in that is. But uh, Paul Duca backed me up, and that's basically what I'm saying. I appreciate him. It's an interesting article, interesting uh, sound, too, because he kind of gets a little more in-depth on it. But I want to celebrate, and I don't know if it makes us old or if it doesn't, but 25 years ago, Tommy Boy came out this week. And that was one of the classic movies. I miss Chris Farley like nobody's business. I thought he was more of the, one of the more outstanding uh, comedic actors, stand-up, whatever you want to call it. This dude was absolutely phenomenal. So, and I still use holy shnikes to this day. The one-liners that come out of that, him singing, fat guy in a little coat, you know, absolutely floors me all the time. And I constantly use a lot of those. House need fluff pillow. <laughs> Housekeeping. Like and then when uh, they're, you know, he, you know, David Spade smacks him with the uh, two by four, and he's like, you know what, man, I'm kind of, it feels really sore right here. You, is there anything on my face? He goes, yeah, you know, and he goes, it's not so much here as it is like right here. Oh, I can't get enough of it. Uh, Funny. So uh, just want to celebrate 25 years of Tommy boy being out there. So in this downtime where we've got the uh, COVID going on lockdown, plenty of streaming going on, find yourself a good, 
you know, Chris Farley, David Spade movie. Tommy Boy is obviously at the top of the list. Black Sheep is also a very good one. But celebrating 25 years. And being that I now live here in Texas, I've got to give a shout out to all of the Selenas out there. Because 25 years ago, Selena was uh, gunned down. And uh, that's kind of a sad thing that happened down here in uh, Texas and I know in Mexico, but she was a phenomenal superstar and they still celebrate her to this day down here in uh, Texas Tuttle. And I had no idea when I was living in California how vital and important she was to the community down here. So that is unfortunately uh, the downside of a 25 year uh, anniversary. But I think that's gonna do it for us here on Bleacher Blums. I know we chewed on your ear for quite a bit. And I know that you're enjoying seeing our facial expressions and all of us wearing our specs. So all of the respect to the spec wearers out there. We love you. We appreciate you. Thanks for tuning in. Tuttle, any parting words before we get out of here? Yeah. So uh, two things. One, my favorite Chris Farley thing ever. I will still watch the Saturday Night Live uh, yes. best of Chris Farley. But the best one on there, the Chippendale skit with Patrick <laughs> Swayze, is so on the money and the, my favorite part at the end is actually Patrick Swayze wins. I think in the comedic world, people would want, you know, Chris Farley to win that. Mm -hmm. And they're like, you know, no, no, sorry. He was just better. His physique is better than yours. Like, <laughs> and he's like, and he tries a little at the end. They're like, no, no, sorry. We've already made our decision. And Patrick Swayze's hugging him like, oh man, it was such a great competition. Anyway, that, I mean, look at how well, I'm laughing so hard right now. Oh, dude. that it's good to, it's good to have a good laugh and chris farley was as good as there is with the physical comedy for sure and uh and of course a, a shout out again to all our uh, first responders um health providers everybody kind of on the front lines with covid19 i really wish we could get some more information on this in terms of how long it's going to last and how how serious obviously all of this is i've heard mixed reports but uh obviously we're doing our best to shelter in place and to keep everybody safe, healthy, and happy. And that's really important to us. So hopefully as you, as you shelter in place, you're downloading the Bleacher Blums podcast and getting your fill of, uh, of Blummer and myself. But uh, we really appreciate you out there. Continue to rate, re review, and subscribe to our podcast. And that's all I got, Blummer. No, that's very well said. And of course, every at the end of every Bleacher Blumps podcast, you better get used to this because we're going to applaud the military. We're going to applaud first responders. And it seems like this list continues to grow, especially in a time of crisis like this. The scientists, the uh, people at the forefront doing the investigations, all the companies that are actually stepping up and altering their fa uh, factories to provide medical equipment to those who need it. Great job by you. We, we love and appreciate everything that you're going out there and doing, all the health healthcare providers and all those first responders that are out there doing a great job. And don't forget everybody who's working at your local grocery supermarket, the guys who are guys and gals who are driving the trucks and making sure those deliveries happen. We appreciate all of you and everything you're doing. And that's going to do it for this episode of Bleacher Blums. It's been a good one. We're on a new medium right now. Make sure you check us out. Go to YouTube and check out the, the uh, YouTube channel, Social Nostra, N-O-S-T-R-A, and you can find us on that channel. We will be coming at you every week on that channel. Subscribe, like Tuttle said, rate, review. How about you tell some of your friends too? Tell them, hey, if you don't like listening to us, listen to us and watch us. Just really <laughs> dig in and drive that point home. So from Tuttle and I, we appreciate you. That's going to do it for us. And at the end of every podcast, we like to tell you to get after it and believe it.